0: Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. May God make his scripture come alive in our hearts and minds this morning. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one is raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is our final sermon in the series called Glimpses, where we're looking at the way life could be, the way God wants it to be, which means it's how it should be, how we can live as God's people in the midst of a world that very much does not live as God's people. And it finishes today on Transfiguration Sunday with what is a very odd story. We may have gotten used to it as we've heard it over the years, but it is an odd story that Jesus takes three of the chosen 12 leaders of the disciples, his inner circle of Peter, James, and John, and they go up to a mountain, and Jesus is transformed or transfigured in front of them. He is completely changed. And they see him, face as bright as the sun, clothes as white, as light itself. And then Moses and Elijah joining him. And they see the three of them talking together. And Peter, who honest to goodness is my favorite disciple, because he spends so much time with his foot in his mouth that it makes me feel better about the time I spend with my foot in mine. And he says, oh, oh, this is good, Lord. This is good. Let me build us some shrines or tabernacles or tents and we can stay here for a while. And while Peter is still talking, a cloud comes and settles on them and a voice talks over Peter and says, Peter, well, this is the Tammy translation. The voice says, Peter, I don't need you to talk. I need you to listen. Listen. Because you need to understand that this is my son Jesus. And he is doing what he's supposed to do. I am very pleased with him. And as often happens when we hear God speak, we are silenced. And they just want to stay But Jesus comes and taps them on the shoulder and says, we can't stay here. We can't live on the mountaintop. The mountaintop experiences prepare us to go back into the valley. This experience has prepared them for what is coming, which we know is very difficult work. Walking out, the arrest, the persecution, the crucifixion of their Savior, and then His resurrection. And Jesus says, don't don't tell anybody about this until after my resurrection. You ever wonder why he says that? Don't, Don't tell anybody until afterwards. I have my opinions on that. I think it's because he knows that if you tell people right now, they'll be so focused on what they didn't get to be a part of, of what they missed, they'll miss the whole point. Was to see Jesus as he is. I want to talk about three words today, transfixed, transfigured, and transformed. I read the scripture this morning out of the Contemporary English Bible because it's the one that we use regularly in worship here. My favorite go-to translation is the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Bible, and it uses the word transfigured rather than transformed. Transformed is a perfectly decent translation of the word But I believe this is one of the places where some of our translation words could actually make a difference. And so I want to talk about those three this morning. But as I have been preparing this sermon for this week and bringing it to its um, final form to deliver to you, I have not been able to quit thinking about the revival that is happening that started at Asbury University in Kentucky And you may not follow religious news the way I do, although it's been in my social media feed and my TikTok feed as as well. Um, But on Wednesday, May the 8th, a group of students, as they did every Wednesday morning, went to chapel at Asbury University. I attended the seminary across the street, Asbury Seminary. A one-hour chapel service has still not ended. Around the clock... For more than a week, students gathering, sharing scripture, praying, singing, pouring out their hearts and souls, praying over each other, sitting in the presence of God, feeling that something miraculous and wonderful is happening. And I've watched colleagues, alumni, others from here and from other places who have driven, from here it's about six and a half hours, to Wilmore, Kentucky, to check this out, to be a part of it. Others have said this is um, manufactured, this is just emotionalism, it's really just, I mean, the right music, the right environment, you can just whip people up into a frenzy and they'll have a revival moment that makes no difference when it dissipates. And the reality is that the truth will be in the fruit. Does it make those who've experienced it more like Jesus? And as a result of becoming more like Jesus, do they make the world more like the world? Is this a glimpse of what the kingdom of God, of what life can be like? Or is it just those things? We won't know and we won't know for a while. The thing I think that entertains me is that we think we have to go there to be a part of revival. The reality is revival will happen wherever God's people allow it to happen wherever we make ourselves available for the presence of the Holy Spirit that is where revival will happen and that is what we have watched happen as it has broken out on other college campuses as well it's happening at Sanford University in Birmingham here in our state What is unique is not Wilmore, Kentucky or Asbury University. What is unique is people who are seeking the face of God and being available for it. And I just so wish that so many of those people, instead of spending six hours in the car, spent six hours on their face before God, saying, what can God do here and with me? Sure, others are going to try to co-opt it for their agendas. And people have. Other celebrity names in Christianity have gone. People have wanted to cover it on the news and share it. What's interesting to me is that they've kind of shunned that. They're not seeking that. They don't want it. The SGA president did do an interview with Tucker Carlson But they want this to be genuine and authentic. And even if it were not, historically, people have always found God. Even in moves that were not legitimate. Even with charlatans. Even with bad people at the helm of a movement. People have truly found God. But there are a group of students particularly in the southeast, but on that campus and others, who are having a mountaintop experience, a transfiguration moment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what matters is not how long it lasts in that place, but how thoroughly it changes them and what they do with it when they leave that place. That's what I want to talk about this morning as we unpack these three words. The first word I want to unpack for you is transfixed. What does it mean to be transfixed? It means to lock your gaze on something and find yourself unable to look away. You just can't tear your eyes off of it. It can happen in the positive or the negative. Some of us have driven by an accident site and we can't unsee It's all we can see, even when we no longer look at it. It's what we see before us. It happens often with young men when they see a pretty girl. They want to ask her out, get to know her better. They can't stop looking at her. I've seen it with moms who cradle a newborn baby and they're content just to sit and look at that baby. Just not take their eyes off of that precious one. Whether they're sleeping or crying or wiggling, they can't stop looking at the baby. It was me yesterday in the grocery store as Joseph and I took his mother to shop with a pecan pie that I really wanted in the freezer section. And they've moved on and turned the corner and I'm still looking at the pecan pie. But it's to be unable to move your gaze off of something is to be transfixed. There's another word, transformed. Transformed is to be completely changed from inside out. Think butterfly. A butterfly starts as a caterpillar, a little worm, goes into a chrysalis, becomes gooey, and comes out a butterfly. Something completely different. That is transformation. The Greek word metanoia, completely changed, metamorphosis. And the word transformation is a good word to um, translate here in this passage because we see Jesus from his inside out. That lie comes from within him that they see. But I believe the better word for what happened was transfigured. Transfigured is to see as it is. You see, all throughout Jesus' life, from the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb, there had been assumptions, preconceived notions and ideas about who the Messiah would be, who he was supposed to be, what he was supposed to do, what kind of family he was supposed to be born into, what kind of movements he should be involved with, what should happen as a result of his coming. And Jesus spends such a huge amount of his time In ministry and in teaching, trying to dispel people of those notions so that they can see what he's actually doing. He says, I didn't come to throw off Rome, to build an army and go to war with them and drive them out of our physical territory. I came to transform your heart, to create a wave and a move that drives sin out of your lives and makes this world more like it's supposed to be. I want to make you love God and love people more. He argues with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders over which religious rules he has to keep. And he says, it's not about the rules, it's about the heart. It's about what God is doing in us and through us and because of us, because of God's love. That's what it's about. And I believe that this moment, this transfiguration moment for Peter, James, and John became a pivotal moment for finally getting rid of their preconceived notions. It still didn't die. They still have them. They still, until the moment it all begins to come together. But I believe this planted the seed because for a moment they got a glimpse Of who Jesus was. Who he came to be. And who he was calling them to be with him. It makes me wonder. What transfixes us? What holds our gaze? What can we not take our eyes off? Are there preconceived notions and ideas that God needs to dispel in us so that we can truly see who Jesus is? Have we tried to recreate God in our image, put God in a box, make Jesus be who we want Him to be instead of who Scripture and the Spirit tells us He is? Have we decided that we know who Jesus is, and what church is, and what church is supposed to be. How do we need our thinking and our actions transformed by the presence of the Holy Spirit? Where do we need to fix our vision? In yoga, there is a thing called drishti, which means your gaze, where you look. And when you're trying to practice balancing postures, It's often very difficult. We want to wobble. We want to fall out of the pose. And you keep coming back and trying again. But if you fix your gaze on something at a distance on the far wall, it suddenly becomes much easier. And you think that's ridiculous. Bunch of woo-woo stuff. Need that. But I'm telling you... If you fix your gaze ahead of you instead of right in front of you and what's going on around you, you will find more balance in practicing those poses. And it's not just in that. In mountain biking, they tell us to watch where you're going. Don't watch where your tire is right now. Watch where you want the tire to go. Again, I was skeptical. How do I get there? How do I get over all the stuff between here and there? without some bloodshed, if I'm not watching that. But it really is true. You watch where you're going. Your tire follows your gaze. Ever notice when you're driving, something on the side of the road catches your attention and you look? And what happens? Before you know it, you're drifting out of that lane and into the other one. Because we go where our gaze is. We need to fix our gaze on Jesus and on where Jesus is leading us and calling us to go. We can fix our gaze on the here and now, on what's right in front of us. We can focus on all the obstacles, all the challenges, all the negative on the news. We can do that, and you know what happens on a mountain bike? You get to pick yourself up off the ground. Dust yourself off, reset the handlebars, and get on again. I have ridden over obstacles. I have managed to do things I didn't think I could do. I have made it to the top of a hill and didn't have to push my bike because I focused on where I was going instead of the obstacles in front of me. And as Christians, we are far too focused on the here and now instead of on where God is calling us to go. And you will find what you look for. If you're looking for obstacles, if you're looking for things you don't like, you will certainly find it. You've heard me talk before about Bader Meinhof um, phenomenon, also called frequency illusion. I drive a Ford Fusion. Before Joseph bought me that car, and I say Joseph bought it because he bought it for me without me being with him or having any input in it. I said, I need a car, I don't have time to to go hunt for one. Don't like the sales process anyway buy me a car and he went that's a trap because he's a smart man but in this case i only gave him a few little parameters find me a car and he said how about a ford fusion i went i don't know what that is so he sent me a picture and i went okay but the minute we bought that car they are everywhere half the world drives a little ford fusion Now, the truth is that the whole world didn't go out and buy a Ford Fusion because we bought one. We didn't all buy them in the same month. But I noticed them more because it was now on my radar screen because I'm looking at it and I saw them more. It happens with lots of things. But it is an illusion of our noticing. And when we do that, we don't get an accurate picture of the whole. We can focus on How many traditional hymns we sang in this service? And how many contemporary songs were in this service? We can focus on how many times the cajon or the guitar are used in this service, how many weeks we say a creed or don't. We can focus on how many times the pastor speaks to you or who the staff speaks to on a regular basis or whether there's a typo in the bulletin or on the slides or whether the heater worked today or how many weeks of that challenge. You can focus on all those things. And if that's where you choose to fix your eyes and be transfixed, you'll find what you're looking for. But if you choose to fix your eyes on Jesus, you will find Jesus. You will find God at work and on the move. What if the questions we asked were, how many times do we talk about the love of God as a church? How many times do we invite people to line their lives up with what they believe so that we are more authentic, more transparent, and more Christ-like in who we are? How many times do we pray for our leaders and pray for the Holy Spirit to fall in our worship? How many times do we come expectant, The revival and renewal might break out in these worship services here. How often do we look for the things that we can celebrate? The things that fill the pages of our newsletter and our social media feed? How many positive and encouraging words do you say to someone who is volunteering, who is giving of themselves to make something happen here? Because we have the choice where we fix our eyes. Transfixing, fixation, is a choice. We have a choice to be positive or negative. We have a choice to be kind or mean. It is not a fixed part of our characteristics like eye color that you can put a contact lens to cover it up and try to pretend. No, we can be transformed by the Holy Spirit into the people God calls us to be. And we can work with that by fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking for where God is at work among us instead of all the obstacles between here and there. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that's when I believe we will see him as he is. Our vision here at Anniston First United Methodist Church is to transform our community to completely change Anniston and Calhoun County from the inside out, starting with us and bleeding over and making it all more like God wants it to be. That's our vision and that's where we need to fix our eyes is where is Jesus taking us there? Because when we focus on the here and now and all the negative, we are abdicating the power God has given us and we are acting like he doesn't have any either. We are not hopeless and helpless in the light of what is going on. No matter how bad the news looks, no matter how bad the bottom line of the budget looks, no matter how desperate things look around us, no matter how much violence there is in this world, it is nothing compared to the power of the living God who created everything that is and everything that we have and all of who we are and who called us to join him in this. I was incredibly moved by our song, So Will I. If all creation sings your praises, so will I. If Jesus went wherever you sent him, so will I. So will I. I will fix my eyes on Jesus so that I am able to see the transfigured Savior so that I can be transformed from the inside out and caught up in God transforming the whole world, which is our mission. Jesus said, go make disciples of every single one of them bringing them into my family by baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and Holy Spirit and then teaching them everything that I've taught you. And I'll be with you until we get it done and I come back. I want to close by sharing with you Wesley's covenant prayer which is a choice to fix our eyes on Jesus, a choice to be transformed from the inside out, a choice to see God for who God is. So I invite you to close your eyes and hear these words. I am no longer my own. I am yours. Put me to whatever you will. Rank me with whomever you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or let me be laid aside for you. Let me be exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things, all of who I am, to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. Let it be so. And this covenant which we make on earth Let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. May we fix our eyes, be transformed, and seek.